Your views, your news, your limerick today with Gillian Devlin in for Joan Ash on Live 95. Time of week when we take a look back on the headlined stories of the week and with our coffee break panel. And this week, I'm delighted to be joined by the very esteemed Miles Breen in studio. We also have Owen Devereaux from University of Limerick and we've Catherine McGeechee on the line. Good morning to you, Catherine. Good morning, Gillian. Good morning. And Owen and Miles. Good morning. So you're very welcome. And I have to start, I suppose, with the biggest story of the week, um, which for us... I in recent days it's hard to actually pick the biggest story of the week because in one sense it's the hurlers and the All-Ireland win but because it's broken more recently really the Sinead O'Connor one you know because it's on the front of all the papers today and um, you know such an Irish icon and an outpouring of grief that we have seen in our country over the last 48 hours or so Um Owen, I'm going to start with you because one of the tributes, there have been so many tributes paid, but one of the tributes that really stood out me for me was from Morrissey, okay? And Morrissey uh, said about Sinead that um, she had a proud vulnerability and there's a certain music industry hatred for singers who don't fit in. This I know too well, says Morrissey, and they are never praised until death when finally they can't answer back. You praise her now only because it is too late. You hadn't the guts to support her when she was alive and when she was looking for you. It's very Morrissey Owen, isn't it? It is, and I think there's a lot of truth in what he said. It was a very strong statement, a very detailed statement. And I think he's right in the sense that certainly she was badly treated by uh, the record industry, the reaction to tearing up the uh, photograph of the Pope and, and and then the sort of infrastructure around that being dropped by her record label and so on. And I also in that, and I think, and many people have mentioned this this week, um, Sinead wasn't a pop singer or a pop star. She was a protest singer and she spoke out about so many things. So, for example, I was thinking in the last 48 hours how at one stage, she talked a great deal about the, the famine in Ireland and how that, in fact, it was a genocide and not a famine in the sense of, oh, the potatoes failed. So mm. she was always very interesting in terms of taking on issues that people didn't want to touch, people didn't want to talk about, uh, and controversial in that. And, I mean, Morrissey, I suppose, I read the statement yesterday and I read the commentary by his fans on the fan website afterwards. And, you know, there's a there's a there's a slight self-reflection in it about himself and how he has been badly treated. We will forgive that. And I, I, I think he was largely right in what he said. Okay. Miles, what were your own thoughts when you heard about um, Sinead? I'm so, so shocked, I think, in in the sense of um, she's sort of part of the soundtrack of my life. Um, mm. She would have come up um, with uh, Mandinka and all that. And, and and such an incredible artist and I, over such a wide variety of sort of styles of music as well. She, um, I mean, there's a fabulous, she does a fabulous version of Stretched on Your Grave, which is a traditional Irish song and so beautiful. And her voice was incredible, but also her songwriting. And also, obviously, being involved in, uh, as an actor. She's all, she's also a fabulous actress. I mean, she was brilliant in, in the, the Butcher Boy as the, the Virgin Mary. And... Um, and such a, a luminous presence. Um, I actually saw her once um, 
and it this is also the other thing of course she was had a very troubled um, mental health history and was very very mm-hmm. honest about it but I was in the Late Late Show for I think it was Gay Byrne's second last Late Late and wow. um, and accidentally during one of the breaks uh, Gay Byrne said oh um, uh, Sinead O'Connor's in the building she's doing an interview upstairs and she said she'd like to come down and join us great brilliant to be mm. um, but when she came in there was obviously something going on she was uh, quite I, I don't know you could get the feeling in the room that this was somebody going through something undamaged mm. and in general uh, Gabriel was incredibly gentle with her and stuff like that and even through questions open to the audience and the audience said no no and this is when she was dressed as a priest and yeah. uh, and then but so there, there was a sense of a damaged person there and it was really quite strange to be in a room with someone you know is going through something but you don't know what it is and but you know so um, but mostly mostly she'll be remembered as just such an amazing artist. Yeah, Catherine, she had that amazing thing of being both um, vulnerable but also so strong. Yes, yes. Uh, I I think what's difficult is when we take on issues in a protest mode that, um, uh, you know, just from a psychological point of view, it releases a massive amount of negative chemistry. The brain releases a massive amount of negative chemistry and that is flooded through the whole body. And that's okay on a one-off, but when you're doing that consistently, um, the, 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 actual, uh, the actual damage to the person is huge. And when you, you look at, uh, if, when you look at uh, her, she had she was she had this incredible feminine gentle uh, presence and yet there was this other aspect and to me that other aspect was the effect of that the it's like the chemical effect of her protest work and if she had only uh, been taken under the wing of somebody who knew that. And there's lots of great people now who know that. For example, you've got that incredible doctor, Joe Dispenza, who's trying to help people uh, manage the effect of a negative uh, picture in the body. For example, um, even NASA, they, they had this Dr. Valerie Hunt who said, if you think a negative thought, they did this work with astronauts, within 13 seconds, you power down your body. If you think a positive thought within 13 seconds, you power up your body. So imagine the impact of this on her. And if she, this incredible talent um, and wonderful presence had only had the guidance of someone who knew that and understood it, she could have, uh, she could actually have been spared the mental anguish that she went through. That's what I think. Okay, well, I suppose there's we ha- we see this outpouring of grief around the country. People were, are leaving candles, flowers, signs, and things like that. I think there's there's something in that sense of community, Miles, isn't there? When when somebody passes Very much like so. that, in and I think, as I say, um, w- w- in whatever way she touched everybody's lives. I mean, as I say, for me, it was obviously the music and obviously uh, just um, such a luminous star and the and the voice and the voice. And I think. Yeah. That's, as I say, that's part of my um, cultural um, backstory history, and uh, and she's very much part of of that in my life, and and in, in so and I think a lot of people 
I mean, obviously, we all know um, nothing compares to you and the video and stuff like that, which was just a stunning a piece of videography as well as just a stunning performance. And um, yeah, I think that's the memory um, that sticks with me. A tiny part of her, though, Owen, as well. I mean, a lot of people in, in pop culture, that's what they know of Sinead. Uh, I saw somebody foolishly tweet, sure, that was her only song. And boy, he got <laughs> schooled. Um, because really, it, it wasn't who she was about. You know, there was so much more to Sinead. There was, well, and it's, it's wonderful to go back now and see all the songs that maybe some of us have forgotten that uh, we loved over the course of her career. Well, it's so far ranging. I mean, she made a, a reggae album with Sly and Robbie, and it, it's my favourite Sinead O'Connor um, album. She also made Shanlos Nua, um, reinterpreted songs, worked with the Dubliners and the Chieftains. So there was that kind of breadth of, um, of, of, of a genre, and uh, of course, the voice being central to that, but like, I, I particularly like, she, she uh, re recorded that song, Marcus Garvey, for example. I, I particularly like the reggae work that mm. she uh, she did. And again, that sort of identification with oppressed people when she got into trouble in America. It was a Bob Marley song that she reinterpreted and so on, you know. So, yeah, uh, an awful loss. Uh, I'm devastated about it, really. Well, we're going to move on from one artist, Sinead O'Connor, to another artist or group of artists, Coldplay, <laughs> um, because they made the headlines this week. Um, and uh, Taylor Swift was last week, I think, or perhaps the week before. Uh, and this is the issue of buying tickets and trying to get tickets. And Catherine, we had so many of our listeners get in touch with us this week, complaining uh, both on social media, uh, on our platforms and to the show here, you know, the stress of trying to get tickets to go to yes. their, their beloved, whether it be Coldplay or Taylor yes. Swift or whoever it is. What do you make of the whole debacle? So uh, here's what struck me. We have uh, to look at how we can see this as a business and uh, make it so easy for people to come to Ireland uh, for a concert, uh, find uh, lovely accommodations, good travel in and out. When you, we have this kind of messing uh, with tickets that it's so difficult for people to get a ticket to, uh, to come to an event in Ireland, then the, the, the knock-on effect is people would say, well, where, where else is that band playing? And get on a flight and go there if they can afford to do that. So I think we've got to really examine our perception of concerts, ticketing, all of that, and ask ourselves, are we looking at it from a really good business point of view? Because if you had good business people apply their minds to this, that this kind of... Uh, issue would not happen. People would be able to smoothly buy the ticket, smoothly arrange their travel and their accommodation if they needed that. Uh, but it, to me, it's it's almost like pushing business away from Ireland. It's almost like pushing our music industry down into the drain, as it were, because if it's that difficult for people to get to an event that here in Ireland, then they're going to be trained to look for it elsewhere. Yeah. That's what I, struck me. I have I've come across people who've booked tickets for Coldplay in Budapest to avoid the hassle of trying to get them in Dublin and also the cost yeah. of accommodation here. Owen, what do you make of it? Well, this is um, an issue that isn't just restricted to Ireland. I mean, the music industry has become more and more monopolised. So when you have Ticketmaster and you have Live Nation controlling so much, 
uh, you have new pricing structures. So, for example, I, I, I'm an avid concert goer, so I, I feel the pain. I, I wouldn't go across the road to see Coldplay, but that aside, um, I feel the pain in terms of being in a queue for tickets. And in the UK now, for example, premium pricing has come in. So I, I was looking at a gig in London uh, recently for the aforementioned Morrissey, strangely, and uh, the the initial tickets was like buying an airline ticket. So the prices were highly elevated and they were selling off tickets in you know really, really exorbitant prices. And it seemed to be going with the ebb and flow of booking, no more than, like, no, no more than if you were trying to book a, mm. an airline uh, ticket. Um, so there is an issue about, about that. I, I, what I would say, though, to give people some hope, and I often say this at home to my, to my sons, you will always get a ticket. And, and I, I've actually stopped panicking about gigs where I don't get a ticket for because inevitably coming closer to the day you will get a ticket even on on the Sunday of the All-Ireland Final uh, last week I I saw at at, at half eleven somebody was offering a Nally Stand ticket and again it reminded me you would always get something on the day but there is a real issue here and I think Catherine is right Uh, there is that bigger issue for if 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 we want to rely on the creative industries and on the cultured industries as as a source of employment and revenue and filling hotel bed nights and restaurants and you know you know uh, so on, then this is an issue you know and uh, and I did you know equally I've heard of people who are going abroad to see Coldplay for for the equivalent of a single ticket in Croke Park and they're managing to fly to Eastern Europe, see them there and go Airbnb and, and so on. So we are kind of pricing ourselves out of the market. That is madness. Miles, did you ever queue in a sleeping bag? Did you? Um, no, I never queued in a sleeping bag. No, I'm, I'm, it's strange. I'm, I'm such a Luddite. I, I don't do any of that. I'm, uh, what I find strange is that it's a huge industry and they can't seem to sort out their own technical problems, if you mm. know what I mean. And the other issue, of course, is it is a supply and demand thing as mm. well. So it's that whole thing of um, if Coldplay and Taylor Swift are so popular, um, yes, yeah. that's and, and, and I, I block up the system. Be, I think people need to be careful of hype that's generated around stuff so that that kind of flurry of activity that was going on Tuesday or Wednesday yeah. or this week and this pent up demand mm. and you'd hear people then ending up in the queue and suddenly buying tickets for four and five times the amount of money that they had intended to mm-hmm. sell it's a bit like gambling you know a gambler's mm. fallacy yeah. and um, you know so I I'm not sure how deliberate that is but it's certainly one of the side effects of 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 of, of this particular structure of selling tickets yeah, I, I, I've seen that myself as well. You know, people get, getting caught up because um, they see everything going online. I mean, there was something funny online saying, oh, you call yourself a Coldplay fan, uh, name one other me- band member apart from Chris Martin. I mean, people <laughs> people are just, I think it's that whole thing of fear of missing out, Catherine, as well, isn't it? You know, everybody else mm-hmm. is looking for a ticket. I better look for a ticket too. Yes, exactly, exactly. And, and I, I do feel that since COVID, the music industry really does need a boost. Our, our artists need a boost, but uh, not just our artists, all the artists need a boost. And we ought to be doing what we can to make it uh, an amazingly pleasurable experience going to a gig, uh, not this very stressful experience, because I think people are under enough stress as it is, never mind in their leisure time having to experience that. And, uh, Miles, seeing as we were talking about tickets and buying tickets and all that, I believe <laughs> it is July but people can actually buy tickets for the Panto already. Already, yes. Um, uh, obviously last year when we did Peter Pan it was back to full 
full show, full yeah. packed audiences and and, um, and 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 sold out and, and and it was great to be back to normal after the two years of COVID and all that. Um, so uh, this year we're doing Sleeping Beauty um, and uh, yeah, tickets are already on sale and selling fast. So um, I know it's a bit early to be talking about Panto and Christmas, but yeah, just a, a book early to avoid disappointment. As they say. <laughs> to, to avoid a Coldplay debacle. <laughs> it's probably a lot easier to get them than that, but still, yeah, it's always a thing, book early. Um, we're going to talk now about the, the happy story of the week, the biggest story of the week, the All-Ireland uh, four-in-a-row uh, hurling win. Owen, did you watch the match? I did, and very much enjoyed it, and very much enjoyed the second half. Um, <laughs> I, the second half. Like, <laughs> I grew up in a GA mad household, but uh, I was the, the kind of black sheep, so I'd, I had no interest in the GA. I was the worst hurler in, in the world. I was always left in the sidelines. Um, I, I thought of my parents last Sunday and how, if they were alive, how thrilled they would be because they followed Limerick the length and breadth of the country. Uh, my poor mother used to say, you know, do you see them in Burr in the snow in 1978? <laughs> I was at the All-Ireland in 1974 uh, against Kilkenny when we were beaten the year after we won oh. in 1973. Uh, but last Sunday was a phenomenal. And um, in terms of the homecoming and the celebrations, it is just really, really great to see something on that scale in such a positive manner taking place in, 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 in Limerick and just the amount of um, pleasure and community and connection that it brings. So it's, it's really wonderful to, to see. What about yourself, Miles? Um, I'm, I'm sorry, like I was hopeless at early. I went to the model school and the GA was the thing and I, I could barely keep the schlitter on the stick. Um, but I must admit, and our household was more a rugby household, uh, but uh, the one thing about hurling is it's just such a physical, fast game. I mean, my, my sheer admiration for their athleticism and, and their stamina is just incredible. And like you, I did not enjoy the first half as much, but the second half was so much better. But that's what I love about hurling. It's so fast mm. and things can change like in a in a second, in a minute. Mm. And that's the, the, the drama of it. It's, it's, it's never, until, until the last whistle goes, you're never completely sure of... The result. I teach a lot about fandom uh, in my day job, and um, increasingly I, te- I obviously teach about music fandom, but I increasingly I teach about sports fandom, and I love all the razzmatazz and people painting their faces and them dressing up and the hats and all the rest of it. It's really interesting to see how people perform their fandom, you know, and it was really, really lovely, you know. Yeah, Catherine, the impact that this sort of thing has on a community, can you describe that for us? You know, everybody gets oh, on, yes. we jump on the bandwagon a little bit, some of us who don't know very much about hurling, like I've been wearing green all week. <laughs> <laughs> and I could, yeah, well, I, I could yeah. name most of the team, but I certainly couldn't name all of them. Well, and I, I met some local men on the road out when I was out for a walk, prior to the match, uh, days before the match, and we stood for about 20 minutes having a conversation about what was going to happen at this match, who was going to win, and they were so animated. And what struck me was the fact that it, that it actually brings people together, and there was so much excitement and interest Um that's what struck me. And then afterwards, we have a, a lovely little uh, new coffee shop down at Bay Castle in Ballysteen, and, and everybody was gathered there, and the atmosphere was fantastic. And and the, it was another 
occasion to celebrate. And I think when we can have local occasions to celebrate like this, it, it's just fantastic. Um, and we need more of that. When you consider in the past in Ireland, people got together and they had their musical evenings in the, their homes or at, at the square, all of that old folklore, to have something like this that, in, in a sense, resurrects what's in the soil, what's in the atmosphere of Ireland, the culture of connectedness um, in a positive way. So it's, it's offsetting any of the negative news and it's this positive. And I think that is what is so wonderful. And, and it's then afterwards, all the chat about it and what's going to happen next and who should be playing and who shouldn't be playing. So it gives people, if you like, a legitimate reason to connect with others and it's wonderful. Okay, well on that note I think it is more than fitting that we end this morning's show with a reminder of how it made us all feel. And right towards Gallo Hegarty, tries to get a gallop up. Gallo Hegarty with a swing and a hurley, the crowd will roar this one over. The man from St. Patrick puts it over and it's 2 10 to 14, 3 in a row for Limerick. Yeah, I'm shaking my head, I say no, Don, and then that, because uh, what a mentality to have. Uh, most teams we didn't bury them. Imagine a goal. Uh, Kilkenny looked really up after the goal. Limerick after responding with three points. That's the ball over the field and all. Some of our forwards there were immense. Peter, Peter was unbelievable at that stage. And, and the first thing we got on top of their puck out, which was a big team, had a little bit of a breeze with us and you know, really got on top of their puck out, started winning ball there and our half back line and you know, driving forward with it and getting good ball into the wise inside. And you know, they, they finished off the business, then to be fair to them. Oh, quick ball taken. Long ball delivered by Jim Burns. Oh, quick three. And over the bar from Peck from Jim Burns. And he bats the hurley and points to John Kiley. And Limerick now 20 points to 2.11 in front. You can talk about game hurling tactically change and all this kind of talk all the time becomes very simple Limerick's half back line are totally dominant spinning around he goes out towards Aaron Galan Galan says I'll have a shot from here I'll tell you one thing if this goes over the bar over the bar it goes and the sides are level at 210 to 16 what a score from Aaron Galan what a response from Limerick phenomenal for sure, this year there's been there's been no easy game. It, it, part of every game we've we've had to deal with setbacks, and there was no different yesterday. Again, when that goal went in, don't get me wrong. Part, part of me was thinking, oh, is this not going to be our day? Is it Kenny's day? But it's just the way we all stuck to our, our process and the, the, the scores the forwards were getting there towards the end of the team. Everything they hit was just going over the bar, and it just felt in the last 15 minutes. That it was one of those days. All that outside talk, whatever other people are saying, leave that at lecture. We go into training there three or four nights a week, and that's solely our focus. But no, the injuries they'd rock you a bit now and then like I remember the night they told us about Richie doing the knee it was generally just so upsetting like, and I felt so bad for him because I said for Richie to be swinging out of each other and training three days a week out front again of Tommy Watts Casey from away out on the far side the left hand side oh. the eye is in he's got over the bar oh what a score from Peter Casey five four points for Casey they're now six in front Ball down the top of Colony, wins the puck up, breaks away from his man, advance has been played towards David Reedy from the far side, underneath the Cusick stand, and over the back spot, soak it in, what a score by David Reedy, 28 points to 214. Still trying to move away, Colony, 
Tries to get the score now. Paul O'Neill towards the canal end of the goal. Oh, 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 what a score by Paul O'Neill. Oh Seven points in front. That is glorious, Herman. I still have to pinch myself sometimes to, to believe it. Yeah, like growing up, you're always going to the finals with Cork to any tip. And to be in it now playing with, playing with Limerick, your own county, is uh, it's just it's just unreal. You can see the boost it's given to all the kids, the whole county. And it's long may it continue. Hopefully there's another few in us. Today with Gillian Devlin in for Jonas on live.